Again, a warm welcome to all of you, especially our guests and visitors with us today. I'm glad to have you, uh, whether you're from a little further out or whether you're just from the, our neck of the woods neighborhood, glad to have you joining us uh, this week. Uh, of course, it's Thanksgiving week, and uh, <clears throat> I know some of you will be probably uh, traveling, going back to wherever home is for you, and I pray that uh, you would have a blessed time with your family, those whom you love, and that you would uh, have a time to be thankful for all the blessings that you have uh, in in Christ, and uh, you know those of you that go back home, especially just uh, it's it's good, especially you go back to be with your parents, uh, go give them a big hug, tell them you love them, and all that good stuff. Right? Uh, I think they'll really appreciate that. All right. As we continue worship now, we ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter one, verse thirty-nine through fifty-six, is we're going to be today. Luke one thirty-nine through fifty-six. It's a medium-sized text, and so I'll read the text within the sermon, Luke 1, 39 and 56. Let's pray one more time. Father in heaven, our hearts give you thanks. We give you thanks for for Christ, and we give you thanks for uh, our relationship with you in him. We thank you, Lord, for your word and that reveals to us uh, more of who Jesus is and more of who you are. We pray that as we open your word now, cause us to grow in a, in a greater understanding of who you are, who Jesus is, the significance of his incarnation. Lord, may you cause us to respond with a love, a love for you, a love that uh, worships, serves, you and word love that praises and, and exalts in you. God, <coughs> we ask your spirit to be our teacher now. Cause us to draw closer to you. And we pray especially that if there's anyone here, Lord, uh, who does not yet know uh, Jesus Christ as his or her Savior and Lord, we pray that today you would cause them to realize that, uh, that, they, that they need Christ, they need Jesus. Today, they would turn their hearts to believe upon the one who came to be the Savior of the world. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hmm. This past week, I was walking uh, at, in Trader Joe's. You, know, you guys go to Trader Joe's. Who shops there? Who shop there? Trader Joe's. Pretty good place, yeah. I like it. You know, it's good stuff. And I was pretty excited because I saw an advent calendar there. You know, advent calendar. You guys know advent. Have you guys seen the, 20, the Trader Joe's advent calendar this year? You guys saw it? There's like stacks and stacks of them. And I was just thinking about it. It's like, ooh, this is going to be really exciting. I almost, I almost bought one there and then. Uh, but I didn't. I resisted. Uh, because, <clears throat> but anyways, in this uh, advent calendar is, uh, is, you know, advent calendars are like Christmas calendars. They just call it advent, you know, because they're trying to sound secular. But advent means Christ coming. All right, so, uh, but it's like 24 days of chocolates, and it's like, like, oh my goodness. You know, if you're a chocolate lover, if you're not a chocolate lover, you know, can you imagine opening 24 days worth of, you probably won't even wait that long, but like, just, just picture all the kids. I, I kind of wanted to buy one for every kid, but I thought, no, I don't want them eating chocolates for 24 days straight. So, uh, you know, but just the joy that that would, you know, have as they're eating. I was just thinking to myself, you know, and it's, it's 
there's tons of them, and, and I've been there on some uh, near, a little bit closer to December, and they, they're completely out of the Advent calendars. They're just sold out, you know, because people really find joy in buying Advent calendars, especially the ones that have candy in them, and then just enjoying it. And so it's, it kind of it made me think about it. So you know what? People are, have not, for, you know, people still celebrate Christmas. You know, they still celebrate Advent. They, they buy Advent calendars. They enjoy it. There's a lot of joy around this season. Uh, just, uh, you know, just thinking about it for me as a, as a coffee drinker, I love going to Starbucks. I love seeing those red cups. Those red cups make me feel joyful, you know. Um, maybe because there's coffee inside. I'm not sure. But <clears throat> there's a, something about the season that everybody's joyful. But I was, something about the Advent calendar that I saw at Trader Joe's, and something's probably indicative just of our society as a whole, is that though we find we do a lot of celebrating, we do a lot of rejoicing in this season of we really, just like the Advent calendar, really we've forgotten why uh, we celebrate, why we find joy. That Advent calendar, the reason why I didn't pick it up, and you can still pick it up, okay? But I was going to pick it up, and I said, oh, it was great. It's celebrate birth of Christ. And I looked at it and said, there's nothing about Christ in this at all. You know, and I'm not judging if you bought one, okay? Go buy it. Buy a bunch. But the fact is, it's like, it was about an ugly sweater. It was an ugly sweater. And it was about some kind of uh, holiday decorations. I'm thinking, you know, I just realized this is a great illustration about how the world celebrates this season. There's a lot of joy, but as far as what you're celebrating, it is absolutely vague. It's just whatever you want to celebrate. You want to celebrate family? Yeah, family. You want to celebrate coffee and good food and great drinks? Yeah, do that. You want to celebrate great decorations? Yeah, you can do that too. Mm. But the world has pretty much forgot the joy, the significance of Christmas. And our text this morning in Luke chapter 1, verse 39 to 56, is one of those texts among all that Luke writes in one chapter 1 through 2, reminds us of the, the significance of why we celebrate Christmas. It reminds us not only that there is joy, and there is a lot of joy in this passage, but there's joy for a reason. And of course, many of us here that are Christians, we know that that reason is because it is the celebration of the birth and incarnation of the Son of God to come to this world and not just to be human, but ultimately to die and be the Savior of the world. You know, the Gospel of Luke is... Uh, was written, and it's, it's a unique book by the gospel, by Luke, to cause us, the reader, to know for certain, to have assurance of the things we believe. Uh, many of the things that re- re- surround Jesus' birth are miraculous in nature. We've looked at some of them already, but this passage, and like all of Luke's passages, it will give, help us to come to understand of the truthfulness, the assurance of that which we believe about Jesus Christ. Of all, the, uh, of all the Gospels, only Matthew and Luke, if you uh, are familiar, record for us the birth of Christ. And it's only, uh, both record how Jesus was born. But Luke is special. Luke alone really tells us the, the backstory, the, the prequel, if you will, of, of the birth of Christ. It doesn't just, just tell us about the birth of Christ, it tells us about the birth of John the Baptist. It doesn't just tell us about the birth of Jesus Christ and John the Baptist, it tells us about the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. It tells us of not only the angel's appearance to Zacharias and to Mary, but it tells us of how Elizabeth and Mary and Zacharias responds to the good news of God's plan of salvation. 
And in and throughout all, it, it is showing to us that there are all these little steps, all these little events that are taking place as part of the fulfillment of God's plan. Because we've been, and you couldn't miss it. You can't miss it as you're just reading these texts that God is involved in every detail. He sees the big picture, but he's fulfilling his big picture in the details of the lives of individuals whom, except for the fact that they are recorded in Scripture, we would have been completely forgotten them. Sure, people wouldn't know John the Baptist, people wouldn't know Jesus Christ, but no one would have remembered the mother of Jesus, or no one would have married, remembered the mother of John the Baptist, except for these texts that we find in the Gospel of Luke. Without Luke, we, we, would, uh, we would not know anything about the birth of Jesus in a manger that we often see uh, as part of the decorations of the season. We would not know about the appearance of angels. We would not know the, the visit of the shepherds. We would lose so much of what we come to know of the Christmas story. And so beginning in the last few, beginning these past few weeks and heading into December, we're going to be focusing on Luke chapter 1 through 2. And hopefully that will cause you to have joy. Uh, it will be just encouraging as, uh, for you as you worship uh, the birth of Christ, worship Christ for in, in his birth at this time of season. Now, uh, before we look into this, uh, the particular text, just a reminder where we've been. Luke uh, has recorded for us in the previous passage that the angel Gabriel has just announced to Mary the conception of Jesus in her by the Holy Spirit. Now this week then, we, we learn how Mary and Elizabeth responds to this announcement of the conception of Jesus. Uh, they, they will gather together and we see that there's an exchange between them. And we see this, there's a joyful exchange, a rejoicing, uh, an ecstatic uh, response. And I think we can learn from their, extent, their, their example as well we, that we might be uh, joyful and ecstatic and, and exulting in the wrecking realization that in, the, in this story we see the coming of the Savior and the Lord. Uh, these are, <clears throat> let's see, this passage will divide it pretty well into two parts. There's sort of a, a response that Elizabeth has to the news of, of Jesus' conception. And then in the latter half, we're going to see Mary's response. So we're going to look at this outline in two parts, pretty simple. Two responses, if you will. Two responses to the incarnation of Christ that inspire those who trust in him, those who believe in him, to exalt the Lord, to magnify the Lord, to glory in the Lord. So... You can always tell what, at the end, my conclusion is that we should exalt the Lord, as we ever saw this. If, uh, if, if you don't exalt the Lord by the end of this text, then there's something wrong, not with the text, there's something wrong with how I delivered it, or there's something wrong with your own hearts, okay? That's, that's the response. Because we see when the news, when you understand and get gripped by these truths, it should cause us to exalt, to magnify, to re- rejoice. And so there should be joy, all right? Um, so I want to see smiles on all of you at the end of the sermon. That would be an indication that you are joyful. Anyways, let's, re- let's look at first point. The first response to the incarnation of Christ, this recognition that the Mary, in Mary has been conceived the Son of God. We see Elizabeth's response. And should we see the Elizabeth's, what we call her song of blessing, her song of blessing. Uh, Elizabeth responds with a, a praise that is re- focuses on the blessings that come from the conception of the Christ. Now, verse 39 to 40 established for us the setting of our passage. They, it tells us sort of, almost is already an indication of Mary's response. But let's look at the setting. 
Verse 39 40. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And we'll stop right there. Now at this time, or in those days, this basically follows, immediately precedes what's just taking place. Mary has just received the most life-changing news in the whole universe, right? God has chosen her, of all the young virgins of this world, to bear the Son of God who would, become the, who would be the Messianic King, who would save his people from their sins. You know, it's, it's, it's a great joy to conceive and to bear a child, but it's, a great, it's the, the greatest of joy to conceive as a child who will basically transform and change the directions of this universe. She would be, she would conceive, she's just heard this news that she would conceive supernaturally through the power of the Holy Spirit, this child, even though she's still a virgin at this point. And you can imagine this, the shock that she would have received to hear this news. She's only, she's very young. She's 12 to 14 years old, a teenager. Uh, she's, uh, she's, and he, she's hearing this news that she's going to have a child. So what is her response? Uh, she, first of all, or actually before her response, she, she's told of that as a sign to her, Elizabeth, her relative, also has conceived of a child in her old age. It's almost, she's told this at, at the end of uh, our previous passage as an comfort, encouragement to her. Maybe being as young as she is, she's reminded that there's someone else who understands, who will understand what she's going through. Elizabeth and Mary, each of them, are, there's a contrast between them. They're, the, they're at opposite ends of life, one beyond the years of childbearing and one at the very beginning of her years of childbearing. But yet both are chosen by God to be a part of the fulfillment of God's plan of salvation. Both are basically going to, be conce- are going to conceive or have conceived at this point a child who will be significantly used in God's fulfillment of his saving plan, salvation plan. So Mary, having known all this, believing God's word through the angel, she, what does she do? She arose and went in a hurry to the hill country. It's amazing to us because she gets up. She's, she's only 12 to 14 years old, right? And the next time your daughter tells you, I, I want to go, you know, it's almost like having her get up, to your, and you know, maybe some of you have daughters at 12 to 14. I don't, not yet, but I will someday. And it's like saying, to get some says, you know, I want to go take a trip, a three-day journey uh, to some 80 to 100 miles away. Uh, we'll say to like Salinas or something like that. So no, you're not going there. Definitely not by yourself. You know, you know no, no. Why, why do you want to go there? But anyways, that's what she does. She takes a three-day journey, 80 to 100 miles. Now, it doesn't mean she's alone. Maybe she would have traveled. Maybe there were caravans. They would travel regularly between the distances. But she, she travels that long distance to go see Zacharias or to see Anna Elizabeth. She enters the house. It's in the hill country, so it's in Judea, the southern, what was known formerly as the southern kingdom, around Jerusalem. And she enters in the house, and she greets Elizabeth. So Zacharias is probably there at this time as well. She greets Elizabeth. When we see this, and what we see in this passage is no ordinary exchange between two ladies, but this was a divine appointment. This was a divine appointment where not only do the two mothers meet, but they're 
respective sons, John the Baptist and Jesus of Nazareth, meet through their mothers. To top it off, we see that this is a divine appointment that is accompanied by the, the visit of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, so nothing else, Mary's just simply said probably shalom or greetings, okay? She's only just said hi. And immediately, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is amazing. Elizabeth, who's carrying John the Baptist's womb, here is Mary greeting her, and who is carrying Jesus Christ in her womb, right? And at that moment, immediately, Elizabeth senses that John in her womb leaps for joy. And then she's filled with the Spirit. And that's significant because, first of all, filled with the Spirit is not something that took place every day out there. It's not like all of you, all of us here can be filled with the Spirit. We're, we're indwelt by the Spirit. She was filled with the Spirit at that point. She was, and the Spirit of God came into her. And in those days, the filling of the Spirit only occurred at special times, whenever someone needed special power or wisdom from God in order to serve him. And the filling of the Spirit here enables Elizabeth to all of a sudden speak words that are divinely inspired, words of prophecy, a word of knowledge, really. She knows things that she really has no reason to know, and she speaks things that no one else has told her to this point. Mary has not said a thing, but in verse 42 to 45, before Mary has revealed anything the angels told her, listen to what Elizabeth says. This is her song, 42 to 45. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Notice the manner of her words. She, offers, she cries out with a loud voice. All these words express this an ex, kind of a, a, an excited response. She cries out. She cries out with a, a voice, really with a shout. And then she cries out with a shout that's a loud shout. To emphasize, this is what you do when basically you've heard the best news you've ever heard in your whole life. You usually shout, right? Okay, or maybe it's just me. But you shout with joy. So Elizabeth was shouting with joy. She was exclaiming with joy. She was joyful. What was she joyful over? Oh, that Mary had, she hadn't seen, oh, I haven't seen you in so long. Oh, you know, it's kind of like some people, you know, when they see their friends, they haven't seen, well, ah! But it's not because of this. I get that. But the theme of her speech, the joy that she feels is because she all of a sudden realizes the blessing of the significant because of the conception of the Messiah. We find in this passage three times this word blessed, blessed, blessed. We find it twice in verse 42, once in verse 45. This word blessed the, in verse 42 really means uh, to speak well of. Uh, and, but when here it's in the passive tense, to be spoken well of. And the idea when it's applied by God, when it's God is the actor, it implies that God is active, he is speaking well. He has spoken a blessing to your life. And God, when he speaks, things happen. It's not like we speak things and nothing happens. But when God speaks, things come into existence. The whole world's universe is created. So to be blessed is to be one who God has spoken well, has said good things of, who's, who basically has 
showed his grace and favor upon you. So God is the one doing the blessing. Elizabeth is merely recognizing those who are blessed of God here. See, there's, there's great blessing in the conception of the Savior. And so, or the incarnation of Christ. So who has received God's grace and favor? Well, first of all, she recognizes that Mary. Most importantly, she recognizes that Mary is blessed here. She says, blessed among women. That's a Hebrew way of expressing a superlative. That there's no one else. Among all the women on the earth, you are the most blessed, Mary. She's saying. And that's certainly true. No woman has received a greater blessing from God than Mary. She had the great privilege and honor of giving birth to the Messiah. Can you imagine? She, was, she had conceived and was bearing in her womb her creator, her God. How blessed is that? You know, I... I, I can imagine that most moms here would say, would say that it was a great, one of the great joys and privileges and blessings of the world. I mean, except for the pain part, but to have bear, bore their child into this world. And I can only, I, you know, as a guy, I, you know, I won't get that, but I, I, can only, I can guess that that would be the, the most, one of the great significant joys. How much more for Mary? Blessed is she. Secondly, Elizabeth recognized not only is Mary blessed, but she's ble- she also said, blessed is the fruit of your womb, of Mary's womb, that Mary's child was blessed. And, and even before we get there, how amazing is that, that Elizabeth sees Mary and knows that she is pregnant. Mary hasn't said a thing. It's only like no more than a week, okay? Two weeks at most. She is not showing at this point. But yet, by the filling of the Spirit, Elizabeth recognized, blessed is the fruit of Mary's womb. This child was unique. She was conceived in her womb by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he would be holy and sinless. He was the Son of God. Blessed is the fruit of Mary's womb. He is the Son of God who dwelt in eternity past with God the Father in heaven, who, who emptied himself, he, who, who came and took on the form of man. He was the son of God. God the Father would continue to be with him throughout his life and ministry in a way that none of us uh, will ever know. But they were, but this man, this, this uh, fruit of her womb would be blessed. Thirdly, uh, Elizabeth, though she doesn't explicitly use the term of herself, but Elizabeth is also blessed. Uh, verse 43, it's, it's implied by the words in verse 43. She says, how, can it, how has it happened to me? that the mother of my Lord would come to me. How does it happen? It's almost like, it's how we would say to say, how can this be? I don't believe it's happening. But the mother of my Lord is with me. I like the NIV's translation. Why am I so favored? Why am I so blessed is the implication. This is a great blessing for Elizabeth, that the mother of my Lord should come to me. Notice she calls Mary the mother of my Lord. Elizabeth, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, understands the significance of Mary's child. That this child is Elizabeth's Lord. What does that mean, Elizabeth's Lord? Is it kind of like, oh, it's like uh, her master? Well, the word Lord is the Greek word kurios, kurie, sometimes you've heard it uh, pronounced. And... But in the Gospel of Luke, whenever we see this word Lord, it is often used in reference to Jesus. Uh, but in the, this word is, finds its significance 
particularly out of the Greek Old Testament, because everywhere in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, wherever we find the, the name of God, Yahweh or Jehovah, when it's translated in the Greek Old Testament, kurios is used, Lord is used. So when she says she's my Lord, she's also acknowledging that this is, he is my, my God. But most significantly, most significantly, this phrase, my Lord, this term, my Lord, is, finds its significance out of Psalm 110, verse 1, where David, King David, writing this uh, messianic psalm, says, the Lord, as Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. David acknowledges, that basically, a descendant of his who will sit on the throne of forever, the Messiah, though he's David's descendant would be David's Lord, would be his master. And for that term, that term is read, is, we find the significance here when Elizabeth calls him my Lord, she's acknowledging him as being her king as well, her messianic king. Jesus himself would quote this passage uh, to, uh, to others to prove that the Christ had to be the son of God. So Elizabeth, she is blessed because she realizes it's not because Mary's here, but she is in the presence of her Lord, her God, and her King. That's, that's the great significance of it. She's blessed because she finally gets to meet her Lord, albeit in Mother Mary's womb. And as a confirmation of this, she says, even the, chi- her, even the child in her womb understands this, John the Baptist. And she, again, realized, real, you know, just, uh, 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 mothers will feel the, the kicks or, uh, you know, can you imagine? She feels the, the leaping in the, of the child in her womb. The, she understands that it's, the child is leaping in her womb for joy. Even John the Baptist at this point responds to the presence of Jesus. There is great significance in this child. The conception and the incarnation of Christ causes their great to be blessing, blessing upon Mary. A blessing, there's a recognition of the blessing, blessedness of who this child would be. There's a recognition of blessing even upon Elizabeth. But fourth, the fourth uh, kind of lastly, Elizabeth returns to the blessing of Mary. But it's not just a blessing Mary in verse 45, but it's a blessing basically, it's almost a, comes across as a beatitude. It's a blessing to all generations. In verse 45, notice Elizabeth declares that Mary, she says, blessed is she, she's referring to Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Notice, for, up to this point, she's been addressing, uh, she, verse 45, she addressed uh, Mary as you, second person. But then when it gets to 45, she stops that. She starts addressing her in a very uh, uh, kind of impersonal third person. Blessed is she who believed spoken to her by the Lord. And so what happens really in this is that when she does this, she's, she's, first of all, she is recognizing that Mary was blessed because she believed God's word through the, that was spoken to the angel, but that she is expressing a, a principle here that all are blessed who believe in God's word, that God will fulfill whatever promise he makes. In fact, uh, this is, a, like, is, is a beatitude. It was considered one of the first beatitudes in the Gospel of Luke. 
This word is a different, this word blessed is actually different from verse 42. It's used in Matthew 5, Luke 6, when Jesus starts saying use all the Beatitudes, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed is he. And so he uses the same term, this idea of blessedness is this idea of joy. There's a joy of being blessed, right? If you're blessed, you should be joyful. You should be happy. You should have a, a bliss that you know. And she is blessed in that way. The blessing of Mary for her faith in God's word is a blessing upon who all who believe in his word. See, this applies to all of us here, right? Blessed are you that you, when you believe that God will fulfill his word. God's word tells us of the incarnation of the Son of God who would save his people from their sins. And if you believe God's word on this matter, then you have been blessed by God too. Jesus is your Lord. You know, we, we can know uh, the facts about Jesus. We can know that he is, yes, he is God, the Son of God. We can know that he is Lord. We can know that he's the Savior. But the, all those facts do not save us until it becomes personal, until it's appropriated by us, until we know we can speak of that the birth of Christ is not just the birth of Christ, but the birth of my Lord. It's the birth of my God. It's the birth of my Savior. Can you, do you say that? Can, do you sense that? Do you understand, do you gra- does that grip you and grasp you? But when it does, it gives us reason to rejoice. I, you know, this, uh, <clears throat> earlier when we were singing these songs, one of the things that really gripped me was when I was singing about Jesus being our Savior. How many times, how many of you guys always just, you know, we're always singing about Jesus being our Savior here in this church, right? But it gripped me the most when I realized that Jesus, we're singing a praise of God because Jesus is my Savior from all my sins. That he's my Savior from my sins. And I reflected upon my despair, my, my, uh, my, uh, my sins over my lifetime, and even in the past week, and really Jesus died for those sins. And you know, we all get there at those different moments. When you realize Jesus has died for your sins, Jesus died for our sins this week and this coming week, the sins of our, that throughout our lives, it really causes a, a natural thankfulness, a rejoicing in our hearts, a, a gratitude. It's something for us to rejoice about. Well, these are the blessings because of the conception of Jesus, the incarnation of Christ. And that's what Elizabeth rejoices in. She exclaims in. She, uh, she praises. Uh, as she she, she uh, offers up a, a joyful song of praise. In verses 46 to 56, we see a second response. And this is Mary's song of praise. Mary also responds with, uh, to Elizabeth's joyous words with her own. And this, Mary's words are kind of like, if you ever read the Psalms and there's different categories of Psalms, it's like a Thanksgiving Psalm or a praise Psalm. At the heart of Mary's words is basically exuberant, rejoicing praise. Exuberant, rejoicing praise. We see this in the beginning two verses. There's, you can't miss the, the exuberant praise that she feels. And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. These two verses are uh, they're parallel verses, but they just simply express that she re- exuberantly rejoices and praises God as her, her Savior. Uh, my soul, my spirit parallel, exalt and rejoice are parallel. Exalt really is this word that means to magnify, 
to in Latin it's Magnificat. And that's that's um, the title of this uh, uh, this passage, the Magnificat of, of Mary. But it means literally to make great. Uh, we could simply say to glorify God. When we declare how great God is, when we give a testimony of what God has done in our lives, we are making great God. Not that God could be any greater, but we're making God's greatness known publicly. We're exalting the Lord. Rejoicing is simply the response to that, to be the feelings of it, the emotions, the gladness, the over, being overjoyed. In her soul, Mary exalts exuberantly in the Lord and her God. But she adds at the end, for significantly, I re- he has rejoiced in God, my Savior, she says. My Savior. Uh, we mentioned in uh, a, a last sermon that there is a, there's a false doctrine of the, what's called the Immaculate Conception of Mary. It's not a reference to the conception of Jesus, but it's a, believe, it's a doctrine that's been held primarily by those, if you guys have come out of the Roman Catholic Church, you know it's a Roman Catholic doctrine. They believe that somehow uh, the holiness of her, because of the holiness of her parents, when Mary was conceived, she was conceived without original sin. Basically, she, she did not have a sinful nature. And because she didn't have a sinful nature, she did not sin. And, uh, and, they, and I explained why she's not, uh, she was not full of blessing, but the last passage, but she was blessed full of the blessing of God. But if she was not a sinner then why would she call God, her God, her Lord, my Savior? Because I don't know about you, but you only need a Savior when you're a sinner. If you don't have sin in your life, if you don't think you're a sinner, you don't need a Savior, right? You don't need, if you don't need help, you don't need a helper. But because Mary, Mary acknowledges God as her Savior, it teaches us that Mary understands that she is a sinner in need of salvation, that God is her Savior, and she exalts and rejoices in the God of her salvation. Her words here are reminiscent of Hannah's song of thanksgiving in 1 Samuel 2. Remember Hannah, the wife of Elkanah, and she couldn't have children, remember? And she prayed fervently, and God then blessed her and gave her Samuel. Remember in her, in her prayer, she had devoted him to the Lord. And so she brought Samuel when he was old enough. She had weaned him. She brought her, him to the temple. And, and then as she brings Samuel to the temple, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1, she begins all the way to verse 10. As she offers up this song of thanksgiving to the Lord. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn, that is her strength, the symbol of her strength, is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies. Because I rejoice in your salvation. Here she, she rejoices. She exalts because of what theme? Because of God's salvation. And that's what Mary does as well. In the reigning verses of, of, of Luke, Mary then gives her reasons for praising God. What's the pra- what she praised God for? She praises God for his blessings, his, his, his mercy towards her. In verse 48 to 49, she praises God for her for her how God has personally blessed her. She agrees with Elizabeth's uh, acknowledgement that Mary is blessed. Verse 48 and 49, we pick up the text. So why is she, she exalts the Lord? Why does she rejoice in God, my Savior? 
For because he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. In great humility, Mary here recognizes the blessing that God had given to her. Though she is a woman of, of humble state, she calls herself, I'm just the Lord's bond slave. And humanly, earthly speaking, she was someone of, of a humble state. She was not the wife or the daughter of a, of a civic uh, leader, some kind of political leader. She was not the daughter of some significant religious leader, like a priest or a high priest or a chief priest or any kind of significant priest. She was the wife of the town carpenter. And if you think, oh, well, she's a small business owner's wife, you know, so they're doing good, you know, some of them are great. No, but in those days, the she, uh, being a, a small business owner didn't make you wealthy necessarily. In fact, when she offers up her, her offering at the temple for the, when she dedicates, when they bring Jesus to the temple to, for dedication, they, their offering indicates that they were of, of uh, very low, little means. They were poor. So she's a, she recognizes her, her, her humble state. And yet, in light of her humble state, she knows that God has blessed her, that he had a regard for her, that God had blessed her. She knew that she would be at that moment, though she, she was no, no of an insignificant girl from an insignificant family, an insignificant town, an insignificant part of an insignificant nation in the great Roman Empire. She was the recipient of, bless, of the greatest blessing of all, to be the one who would, who would bear the Son of God. She acknowledges that this act of conceiving the Son of God was not even of her doing, but it's the Mighty One has done great things for her. He chose her above all the women in the world. He sent her the angel to announce the good news and to, to make his promises known. He is the one who miraculously conceived in her the child who would save his people from, her, from their sins. And she knows that she's blessed. So she acknowledges God's mighty hand in what in the conception of the child in her. God has blessed her. But not only does she praise God for what God has done for her, in verse 50 to 55, he praises God also for what the Lord has done in general to all people. In verse 50 is a key verse. And I love this. this here's this uh, teenage girl, and, and she starts quoting scripture, you know. It's not like that she read it on her Bible. She checked her app, and she quoted it. She just quotes it. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. This uh, verse 50 is a quote from Psalm 103, verse 17. We just sang, bless the Lord, O my soul, which is the first part, first few verses of Psalm 103. But later on, verse 17, we find this verse, and his mercy upon generation after generation. You know, Psalm 103, if you ever think about what the theme is, the theme of Psalm 103 is that we bless the Lord, we praise God, we worship him because of his mercy, because of the mercy of his salvation. In, his, in this quote, David, having reflected upon how man's days are basically like grass, we're like flowers, we bloom and then we're gone tomorrow, 
Yet in contrast to how we are, how man is, who's just here for a short 70, 80 years, God's mercy is everlasting. Extends from everlasting to everlasting, from generation to generation. God's mercy is continually being manifest, even though our lives, in contrast, just are, are just here for just a moment. That's how great God's mercy is. That's why he, we bless the Lord. That's why we praise him. That's why Liz, Mary praises him because God's mercy is shown. In the, and it's being shown, it's being made manifest in the conception of the son. And she's saying generation upon generation. And it, but notice specifically God's mercy is demonstrated upon generation after generation to a specific group of people. It's to those who fear him. Why does Mary exalt the Lord? Because he shows mercy in salvation to those who fear him. And in verse 51 through 55, she basically elaborates on God, how God shows mercy. She uses eight different verbs, eight active verbs to describe how God actively shows mercy to those who fear him. Let's read these verses. I won't point out the eight verses, but you, uh, you can probably just kind of try to find them and note them yourselves. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. See, God's mercy here is revealed in the help that he gives. 54 is a key verse, and it explains, it kind of summarizes, and he has given help to Israel's servant in remembrance of his mercy. God gives help. God shows mercy. God shows, brings salvation to his people. God works in these ways in remembrance because of his mercy, because of his compassion. By the way, uh, the emphasis here on mercy is, is, is translating mercy, but this was is because the word that was used to translate in, the, uh, in, in Psalm 103, I said, I didn't flick there, sorry. In Psalm 103, the word loving kindness is used in the psalm, but when it was translated in the Greek Old Testament, the word, the translators chose the word that was closest to them, and they chose the word mercy, mercy. Compassion. It's amazing. Sometimes we translate this loving word, loving kindness, is hard to nail. That's why we have this word loving kindness almost. Like, what does that mean? It's not a word you use every day. So it has something to do with God's love, God's kindness. So it's not just that God loves us, that God's committed to us, God keeps his promises, but he shows it in his kindness. And so in, that's why when God's love that shows in his kindness, we might just simply call that as God's mercy and God's compassion. You don't have mercy and compassion and don't show it. You don't feel, oh, I feel so, oh, I just feel so mercy and compassion for you. If you actually felt mercy and compassion, you'd do something about it. That's God who, who has a love towards us, a, a loving kindness towards us, shows it in his mercy and, and compassion and the deeds that he does for Israel and for his people. That's why that word mercy is used here instead of maybe God, a love, agape, or, or maybe kindness. But mercy is chosen. Mary would come to know that God's mercy would find its ultimate manifestation in the child that was in her womb. 
And the mercy that he showed her in salvation would be accomplished by this child. When we think about the mercy of God shown through the child, we don't find it just here, but we find it elaborated for us by Paul in Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verse 4 to 7, describes, uh, the Apostle Paul describes how the incarnation of Jesus brought about the blessing of God's mercy in our salvation. I want to read it for us. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, that, that's speaking about Jesus. The kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. That's, that's talking about Jesus' incarnation. He saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing, regeneration, renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We see here that God saves his people. When Jesus Christ appeared, he saved, he saved people not because of what they did, not because of what we do, but he saves people because of his mercy. There's that same word. God's mercy that he shows, his loving kindness. <clears throat> and he, he accomplished that salvation through Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. This salvation that is a manifestation of God's mercy was not just for Mary's generation, is not just for Paul's generations, but God's salvation, God's mercy is for every generation. Every generation after generation, and then all the way down through the generations to our generation. And there's I, 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 my prayer and hope that everyone in this room, if you have not already come to know the mercy of God through the salvation that is provided for us in his son who was born of the Virgin Mary, that you would do so today. His salvation, his mercy is poured out freely and richly to those who fear him. It is to those, and sometimes we will say, oh, it means those who revere him. But let us not mistake, there is a, should be, ought to be a healthy fear of God. Someone who is authority, someone who has every, who we should first recognize that he has every right because he is holy, every right to judge us for every sin in our life. He has every right to judge us for eternity for even one sin in our lives. That is how holy he is and how sinful we are. But yet, at the same time, this fear and reverence also recognizes that God is merciful. And therefore, he is righteous and just to forgive every sin in our life as well. How can this God be righteous when he to judge every sin as well as to be righteous to forgive every sin because of his son, right? It's because he gave us his son so that we would be justified, that is, declared right before God by his grace, by God's grace manifest in his son. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and me to for our sins so that if you fear him and turn in faith to believe upon Christ, you will receive God's mercy and forgiveness and salvation. So when we think of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, we ought to think of God's mercy made manifest in the blessing of salvation. 
As recipients of, of his mercy, we ought to be like Mary and exalt and praise the Lord. That's, that should be our response. Verse 56 is just a, a kind of a transition verse. And Mary tells us what happens to Mary. Mary stayed with, her, with, uh, with Elizabeth about three months and then returned to her home. So and that's the story. These, we see these two responses, these two, two ladies, Elizabeth, Mary, in this rec- realization of the significance of this conception, the incarnation of the Messianic King of Christ. How then shall we summarize our own application of this passage? I think the, what I've been emphasizing throughout and from the beginning to the end is that we too should learn from the example of Mary and Elizabeth. We should uh, respond with a recognition of God, of what God's done in the birth of Christ, and then praise him, rejoice in him, exalt in him, give thanks to him. And that's certainly what we should do. Exalt, praise, thank God for the blessing of our salvation in Christ. And that's number one. There's two other applications that I think we draw out of this passage. First, from verse 45, we learn from the example of Mary. We learn from the example of Mary, which is, was intentionally stated for us in principle form. That those that we are blessed, blessed are those who believe that God will fulfill his word. There are many times in our lives, maybe there's some times even for some of your lives right now, where you are being tempted, being challenged, being tested to doubt God's faithfulness to his word, right? There are times. Maybe it's a sickness or some other trial. But God says, blessed are those who believe the word of the Lord. You are blessed for those who believe that God will fulfill his word. Will he not work out all things together for good to those who love him? Yes, he will. Will he not never leave you nor forsake you in that darkest hour? No, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. You can count on those promises that he's made, he will fulfill. Will he not finish completing, conforming you into the image of Christ though you wrestle with sin? Yes, he will. Every promise God will fulfill and blessed are you when you believe that he will fulfill what, he, what he's promised in his word. 50, uh, verse 50 is another application. And this is what we can learn just focusing upon God's character. Throughout this passage, we see really God's mercy being manifest. That God's blessing is because of God's mercy for every generation to those who fear him. God's mercy, God's compassion, God's loving kindness is shown to us in every generation. And that means to our generation. Again, if you're here, if you've not known the mercy of God, have you known the mercy of God, just say amen right now. Okay, so like maybe a third of you are saved. Okay, so the other two-thirds of you, you need God's mercy. Okay, I know. I I caught you off guard. But if you're here, you don't know God's mercy. You're not sure. Maybe you're still kind of like, well, I really don't need God. I I don't, you know, I I think I've lived a a good life. I've, uh, you know, gone by just working hard. I've, you know, I've I've put together my life and, you know, things are, things are all right. Uh, my family's doing good. Uh, you know, everything's good now. But you know, God's word says that even for you, though you have not believed in Jesus Christ yet, everything that you have received 
is God's grace towards you. God's generous, loving, gracious gift. Every good thing comes from the Father of lights above, right? Every good gift. He, He gives it all to us. The fact that we have what we have, everything that we can give thanks for this coming Thursday, from God, from God's hand. And what's more, things may be good in your life, but it does not change the fact, the reality, that if you're honest with yourself before God, that you are not perfect and you're a sinner. And if you're a sinner, you need a savior for sin because there's judgment coming. And I pray that God's mercy is for you, that you would receive God's mercy and believe upon him if you have not. God's mercy is for every generation, to those who fear him. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. And just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Let all those in this room who fear him bless the Lord because he has shown his mercy mightily in the incarnation of the Messianic King, Jesus Christ, our Savior, our God, our Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for these truths. And uh, we pray that you would cause us to rejoice. Father, after uh, for a good number of us, Lord, can take Christmas quite for granted. And we forget that there's a great joy in, in celebrating and remembering the significance of our Savior. May you continue to grip our hearts with this. May you cause us to remember that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Remind us of, Lord, what we've been saved from. Remind us, Lord, of, where you, of, our, of our destiny. Remind us, Lord, of how every blessing in this world, spiritual and physical, is from your hand. And God, we pray that, we would, that you would receive all the praise and glory and honor that is due your name. May you cause every soul here to exalt in you. May you cause every spirit here to praise you because you are our Savior and our God and our Lord. Father, we <clears throat> pray that if anyone here does not yet know Jesus, may you do a work in their hearts, Lord. Not because I pleaded Father, simply because you draw them to yourself. Father, open their eyes, open their ears to hear the truth of what Jesus coming to this world to be born of the virgin and then to live and to die on the cross for our sins. What that means for them. And Father, we acknowledge again that his his coming transformed this world, and it transformed our lives. And we give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll see you next Sunday.